Every two weeks in Indiana, an inmate dies. Even as I'm writing this, an inmate in Johnson County Jail was found unresponsive and later died. They are overcrowded, understaffed, workers are underpaid, and undertrained. All of this leading to a huge crisis in our jail systems. This case is just one out of hundreds, if not thousands, of unnecessary deaths due to negligence, indifference, racism, or lack of medical care. I am Lindsay. This is the True Crime Chronicles podcast. Welcome to today's Solved Saturday case. Now, this is a tough case, and it's very frustrating. This is a case where it's very easy to see areas that need addressed and fixed, but going up against small-town politics and our country's jail-slash-prison system, it just kind of makes the juice not seem worth the squeeze. It's kind of like going up against Goliath without your slingshot. You know, it's just a losing battle. But the family of the victim we are discussing today is doing just that. And good for them because it cannot be easy. But they know that this is something that they have to do. And hopefully this situation slash outcome won't happen again to someone else's family member. Imagine your daughter or child calling you from jail, begging you for help to come and bond them out because they are terrified that someone is going to kill them and you're helpless and can only trust that the jail will do its job and protect your child. But what happens when they don't? And the next call you get is from a detective telling you that your child is dead and they have no idea why and they can give you no answers. In the case today, that is the exact scenario. Two years later, they still have no answers. Now, all people mentioned in this story are innocent until proven guilty. Charges are not synonymous with guilt. Being in jail does not give anyone less of a right to basic human decency, adequate medical care, or humane treatment. Whether they are just beginning their process through the court system or have gone through it already and are serving their sentence, none of that matters. It does not make anyone less of a human being, nor does it negate their right to be treated as such. Now, that being said, this is the story of Tanisha Chapel. Tanisha was born in Louisville, Kentucky, September 29th, 1997, to mother Levita McLean and father Dante Chapel. She spent her whole life in Louisville and was a member of Spirit-Filled New Life Church. She has a beautiful daughter, Nevaeh Chapel, who was 10 years old when her mother died. And at a rally in honor of her, four months after her death, she told a crowd of over 100 people how special her mother was and that her mother was a one-of-a-kind. Now, if nothing else, her child deserves to know what happened to her mother. Now, Tanisha had several siblings, Joshua, Ronisha, Jafonte, Kobe, and Kanye, three aunts, Nikisha, Shalonda, and Melody. 
And she did have others in her family. She did have quite a big family that were just not individually listed. Now, her family describes Tanisha as a loving mother, sister, daughter, and friend who touched the lives of many around her. Tanisha had several tattoos, as so many people do nowadays, to express their creativity and document important stages and events in their life. Now, I could not find much information on Tanisha, the person, as far as where she worked, her goals in life, or anything personal that I could use to describe her as an individual that was outside of her charges and the last 24 hours of her life. Now, I have included what I could find because I don't want someone to be defined by criminal charges or the terrible way that they died. She was a person for 23 years before this incident. So if anyone who knows her does happen to hear this, please feel free to comment about her. I I would love to hear it and I would love to know what she was like as a person. Now the beginning of this case starts May 26th, 2021 at the Ralph Lauren Polo store at the Premium Outlet Mall in Edinburgh, Indiana. I've been there a handful of times. I mean, it's it's a decent outlet mall. Um, it's also an outside mall. And outside in that you have to walk outside to get from store to store, there is no inside connectivity between stores. So not too bad in the spring and fall, very hot in the summer and freezing cold in the winter. So there you have it. Now, Indiana State Police, the Versailles Post, was the initial responder to the Ralph Lawrence store at 1245 regarding the theft of numerous items of merchandise from inside the store. Shoplifting, essentially, right? Now, I don't know exactly what happened between 1245 and 1 p.m., but the next notation that I have is at 1 p.m., where ISP trooper Corey Clark located the suspect, that being Miss Chapel, traveling southbound on I-65 in Jackson County in a white Chevy Impala. Trooper Clark attempted to conduct a traffic stop just north of the Seymour exit, but Chapel did not pull over and allegedly began to flee from Trooper um, Clark. So Tanisha continues southbound through three different counties, Jackson, Scott, and Clark counties, with the theft taking place in Bartholomew County. I, just stick with me. This part gets a little bit confusing, but I, I'm going to try to break it down as easily as possible. Now, this was not a slow speed chase. Tanisha was trying to dip the fuck up out of there, reaching speeds of 100 miles an hour. Eventually, though, she loses control of her vehicle and goes off the road at exit 7, still on I-65 near Clarksville, Indiana, putting an end to the approximately 30-minute pursuit. It looks like, though, she was trying to head back into Louisville because Clarksville is right there on the line between Indiana and Kentucky and falls just 
inside the Indiana line. Now, once she wrecks the car, Tanisha bails out and tries to run on foot. That ended with her not getting far. Miss Chapel was tased and then quickly taken into custody without any further incident. She was then taken to Jackson County Jail and given a $4,000 cash-only bond. Miss Chapel's vehicle was searched, where troopers found these suspected stolen items with a value of over $3,000, and that was located in the vehicle. I don't know where in the vehicle, if it was like the trunk, the back seat, the front, but just in the vehicle somewhere, you know, was the stolen stuff. Now, Tanisha caught several charges as a result of this road race incident with Trooper Clark and her five-finger discount shopping at the Ralph Lauren outlet store. Okay, so I'm going to go over these charges. As far as the theft at Ralph Lauren, Tanisha was charged with a Class A misdemeanor. Now, other charges that came from this incident, the first one is escape as a level four felony. Now, I wasn't sure exactly the nature of this charge. It says that Miss Chapel did intentionally flee from lawful detention and in committing said act, the fleeing, inflicted bodily injury to Trooper Corey Clark. So it sounds like he might have tried to maybe detain her at the Ralph Lauren store um, at the outlet mall. And she ran from there, maybe got in her car and took off. I don't know that for certain, but based off what's listed in the charges and the time difference between the first call response at 1245 and the pursuit at 1 o'clock, that would make sense. I don't know that 100%, but I'm guessing that's probably what happened. Now, there were three counts of resisting law enforcement. Now, those are all level six felonies. So, the first count in that one, okay, count one, fled from Trooper Corey Clark by foot when attempting to detain her at Ralph Lauren, inflicting bodily injury. I don't know how he got hurt doing that. I'm not sure what that's about. Now, theft as a level six felony. So the misdemeanor that was in it, um, it's been upgraded from an A misdemeanor that she was initially charged with, I guess, because she committed a felony in the same time. I'm not sure. Um, but the theft is knowingly taking merchandise of at least $750 and less than 50K. Now, count two is that she did not stop for an officer, Corey Clark, after he identified himself and ordered her to stop. So she resisted by fleeing in a vehicle. Okay. Count three. She fled from Officer Jim Hale after being ordered to stop, resulting in bodily injury. I don't know where all these bodily injuries are coming from. I... Didn't see where anyone had to go to a hospital, where they were, you know, injured, how they would have received this bodily injury. Maybe in in one, but I, I mean, she didn't run anybody over. 
she, I just, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know where the bodily injury comes in. But apparently both of them were bodily injured. Now, leaving the scene of an accident, she got that charge also, and that's another level six felony. So apparently while fleeing in her car through the three counties, Tanisha was involved in an accident with Jonathan Kane. That doesn't surprise me. She was going over 100 miles an hour. I would be shocked if you told me she didn't have an accident of some sort. And she left the scene without stopping or providing her name, number, registration, insurance, etc. Everything you have to give when you're in an accident. She also got reckless driving. Now this is a class A misdemeanor. So it is operating a vehicle at an unreasonably high rate of speed, so 100 miles an hour, and endangering safety and property of others and or blocked flow of traffic and caused bodily injury to Trooper Corey Clark and driver operator Jonathan Kane. Again, I, I don't know because it didn't say he was involved in the crash. It said that she hit Jonathan Kane. So I don't know why, again... On Trooper Corey Clark, there was bodily injury. I'm, I'm not following that, but apparently there was. Her other charge is possession as a Class B misdemeanor. This is pretty self-explanatory. Regardless that it's just weed and literally legal almost everywhere else, still illegal in Indiana, and you can't possess it. So she got a misdemeanor for that. Stupid. Just the possession, not everything else. You can't do that. But, you know. Now, those charges were filed June 3rd, 2021, where they were read to her at an initial hearing, and she was given a bond of $4,000, and that's a cash-only bond. Now, even though multiple counties were involved, one county will typically file all of the charges. So in this case, Jackson County was the charging county. So they asked her if she had a public defender. So they gave her a public defender. Now, honestly, after going through all these charges, <laughs> I'm honestly shocked her bail was only $4,000. Um, She had to pay the full amount of it, though. But it still seems really on the low side. And I guess maybe it seems low because I wasn't the one who needed to pay it, right? So easy for me to say, oh, 4K is not that much money. But considering her charges and the level that they were, I don't think it was that much money. I don't know. Now, on July 8th of 2021, Tanisha had a bond reduction hearing filed on her behalf by her attorney to lower her bail from the $4,000. Now, at the bond reduction hearing, evidence was presented to the judge by both sides, and both sides argued why bail should or should not be lowered. Now, the state referenced Ms. Chappell's previous criminal history. Now, I have no idea what that is. So, it must not be any other charges in Indiana, because I did try to my case it. But you would have to have been arrested in Indiana for that to show up. But she was only 23, I don't know how much trouble she could have gotten in up to that point. 
But then again, she racked up quite a few charges on this one. So, you know, I I don't know what exactly her criminal history is, though. But apparently, she's got one. Now, the defense also referenced Tanisha having sickle cell anemia and other medical issues. I don't know what the other medical issues were, but her family did say that she suffered from bleeding ulcers in her stomach. Now, as an RN, neither one of those are pleasant and both require medical care. So those are not, not good things at all. Especially to have to deal with them in a jail setting. Yeah, definitely not good. But the judge ultimately ruled against the bond reduction and bail was kept at 4000 cash only. She's got to pay the full amount. Now, I wonder if it was kept at 4000 the full amount, because that was close to the total amount of items that were stolen from the Ralph Lauren store. Now, I don't know that for certain, but it was just a thought I had. Now, a pretrial conference was set for July 20th of 2021 at 9.45 with a jury trial date of November 23rd at 8.30. Okay, May 26th, 2021. Ms. Chapel is booked into the Jackson County Jail in Brownstown, Indiana following her arrest. Now, standard procedure upon someone being booked into the Jackson County Jail is doing a medical assessment of the inmate. A medical assessment consists of asking the new inmate a series of questions concerning health and medical needs. Now, according to my ex-husband, HIV and hep C tests are also done at their assessments. Now, I don't know if that is all of the jails he was not in, Jackson County Jail, but a different jail that was in Indiana. And I want to say they do tuberculosis tests also. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, HIV, hep C, and possibly tuberculosis. Now, the jail nurse at Jackson County Jail told ISP that no one did a medical assessment on Miss Chapel on May 26th or any time after that. It didn't happen at all. Now, the assessments are supposed to be done within 14 days of booking. The nurse did say that Ms. Chapel told him she was not taking any medications and had no ongoing illnesses. How he knew that or when she would have told him that, I have no idea. Because according to him, the jail nurse, he never did her assessment. So I don't know how or when that information would have come up or that conversation and he just happened to remember that particular information two months later I mean maybe right I guess it could have happened like that but it seems odd there was a three to four month backlog of inmate medical assessments so yeah jail nurse was not doing his job now, the Jackson County Jail records and staff interviews state that Ms. Chapel had no previous complaints as far as medical issues 
and had never requested medical assistance of any type prior to July 15th of 2021. Now fast forward to July 15th, 2021. Tanisha's mother, Levita McCain, spoke to her daughter earlier in the day, numerous times. She'd spoke to her multiple times that day. When she spoke to her daughter, Tanisha was very concerned about her safety that day. She mentioned to Levita that she was having trouble with the other inmates, centering around the fact that she was black and one of the few black people being held in that facility, if not the only one. Because according to some reports, she was the only black person in the facility. So she was repeating over and over to her mother, they are going to kill me and begging her mom to get her out of there. (sighs) You know, I cannot imagine the helplessness her mother felt in that moment, knowing her child needed her and she could not help her. I just, that breaks my heart for her. I'm a mom. I was a mom very, very early in life, and I, you know, kind of grew up with my kids and My oldest son got himself caught up in some stuff and I know that feeling and it's awful. You're, you can't protect him. You can't, you know, bust in there and, and make it better, right? Because they'll arrest you too. So yeah, it, that just had to be a horrible feeling. Now these type of calls happened throughout the two months that she was being held. So Tanisha was clearly concerned beyond just that day. Now, the conversation Levita had with her daughter on 7-15 carried the same tone as previous communications. Levita also mentioned at the time she spoke with her daughter that physically she was in good health. There were no complaints about how she was feeling. Now, this brings us to 4.47 p.m. The Jackson County Jail has an extensive video system, right? Like a surveillance. So the timeline I'm about to go over is based off of those videos, the calls to family, calls to correctional officers, and the statements from inmates. Okay, now this is a little bit long, but just hang in there with me because it's important. So the timeline of events of July 15th and July 16th of 2021 within the Jackson County Jail. Now, July 15th, 4.47 p.m., Ms. Chapel contacts jail staff and says, I'm throwing up blood. She also said, I left it in the toilet so you can see. A jail employee went to Ms. Chapel's cell and looked in her toilet. The jail employee observed no blood in the toilet, but did see clear to light green substance that appeared to be mucus. Now, also, there was a bucket that was found later with her blood and vomit in it also. Ms. Chapel complained of having a sore throat. Shortly after 10 p.m., Ms. Chapel called her fiance by phone and told her fiance that she had felt sick all day, that her stomach and her head hurt, and that her body felt very hot. At 11:28 p.m., Ms. Chapel's cellmate asked to be moved because Ms. Chapel was vomiting. Sometime after lockdown, which occurs at 11 p.m., a jail employee called the jail nurse and told the jail nurse that Ms. Chapel was complaining of feeling sick and vomiting. 
the jail nurse informed the jail employee that he would see Miss Chapel in the morning. Now, on this, I'm not surprised. This is jail nurse that has a four-month backlog of medical assessments to do and clearly has no intention of doing them. So, I'm not shocked that the answer was, I'll check on her in the morning. Oh, God, this is horrible. Okay. On more than one occasion overnight, Ms. Chapel used the jail intercom system to contact jail staff, informing the jail staff that she felt sick and asked to go to the hospital. Now, this was done at least eight times. Eight times. On five occasions overnight, jail employees went to Ms. Chapel's cell to check on her. Now, at 8.33 a.m. the next morning, so July 16th, a jail employee requested assistance for Ms. Chapel, stating that Ms. Chapel reported to him that she had been spitting up blood. Now, at 8.45, the jail nurse visited Ms. Chapel in her cell, took her blood pressure and temperature, and determined that she was alert and oriented with normal vitals. Ugh, I, I, I have so much to say about this jail nurse. At 9.47, a jail employee took Ms. Chapel's temperature and measured it at 99.7 degrees. At 10.48 a.m., Ms. Chapel exited her cell wearing only her soiled underwear. Thereafter, Ms. Chapel again told jail staff and other inmates that she needed help. At 12.26 p.m., Ms. Chapel walked to the front of the jail where jail employees could more closely monitor her, escorted by jail staff and was placed in a holding cell with other female inmates. During this time frame, Ms. Chapel told jail staff that she had sickle cell disease. At 12.58 p.m., jail staff escorts Ms. Chapel to a private holding cell and jail staff helped Ms. Chapel walk. Now that is going to come into dispute a little bit later on, as is this next part. While in the private holding cell, Miss Chapel removes all her clothing, which she didn't have any on to begin with, according to what they had already said, but okay, stumbles around the cell, falls, gets up, and at one point hits her head on the side of a metal bed frame. Now, this happens, and they still don't call 911. What time? There was supposedly extensive video camera coverage, and I've seen the video coverage, and you can see her in this private room. So, why is this not time-stamped? I don't know. Continuing on. Jail staff repeatedly check on Miss Chapel during this time frame. Now, I have an issue with that also. What is repeatedly? Because they, you know, seem to kind of work on their own schedule, their own type of, type of way. So I would like to know exactly how many times, how did they check on her? What was done? Were they just peeking in? Were they asking questions? Were they taking vitals? Were they doing any type of assessment? I, I would like to know what kind of checks and, and specifically how often. Now, at 3.15, the jail staff finally calls an ambulance. 
At 329, ambulance personnel arrive and they transport Ms. Chapel to Schneck Medical Center. Now, after initial EMT assessment of Ms. Chapel at the Jackson County Jail, Ms. Chapel was transported to the Schneck Medical Center emergency room in Seymour, Indiana, arriving at approximately 4 p.m. Ambulance personnel who transported Ms. Chapel to Schneck Medical recorded Ms. Chapel with blood pressure of 155 over 31 and a strong and regular pulse of 90 to 100 and rapid regular breathing. Ambulance personnel noted that Ms. Chapel had warm and dry skin, yellow discoloration, noted possibly jaundice or dried regurgitated bile, and that Ms. Chapel was alert and responsive to questioning, head shakes or nods, but nonverbal. Wow. Schneck emergency room staff was provided information from transporting EMTs that Ms. Chapel had reportedly been vomiting the night before. Now, I take issue with this. She was not just vomiting. She, you know, was spitting up blood. She had uncontrollable bowels to the point that she soiled her clothing. She hit her, I mean, hit her head. They're just, they're not. Yeah, all right. <clears throat> Ridiculous. Now, an initial evaluation of Miss Chapel showed her vital signs to be stable and no indication of a fever. An IV was started to get fluids into Miss Chapel, as well as starting the process of obtaining blood and urine samples for diagnostic testing purposes. So, just basic, you know. They didn't know what was wrong with her. A nurse noted that Miss Chapel had yellowing around her lips and eyes, and thought that Miss Chapel could be experiencing liver failure. A urine sample revealed that Ms. Chapel's urine was dark red, which possibly indicated a bad urinary tract infection, sepsis, or cancer. A Schneck doctor remembered treating Ms. Chapel at the time of her arrest on May 26, 2021. Learned that Ms. Chapel had informed Schneck staff that day that she had sickle cell disease and wondered if the jaundice Miss Chapel had on July 16th, 2021, could be indicative of a sickle cell attack. Now, the doctor also thought that they should consider the possibility that Miss Chapel had ingested a toxic substance such as antifreeze or methanol or that she had liver disease. Now, that is a very important observation. So the Schneck ER staff ordered a variety of tests for Ms. Chapel. But before any tests could be completed, Ms. Chapel stopped breathing. Doesn't sound very uh, stable with good vitals, does it? Medical personnel continued treatment of Ms. Chapel until she ultimately passed away at approximately 5.45 p.m. In attempting to determine what was wrong with Ms. Chapel, Schneck medical personnel used a process called differential diagnosis. So differential diagnosis is a process where a doctor differentiates between two or more conditions that could be behind a person's symptoms. So when making a diagnosis, a doctor may have a single theory as to the cause of a person's symptoms. They may then order tests to confirm their suspected diagnosis. 
In using this approach, Schneck medical staff considered the possibility that Ms. Chapel was experiencing liver failure, sepsis, cancer, possible ingestion of antifreeze, or sickle cell disease. Now, on July 18th of 2021, a forensic pathologist performed an autopsy on Ms. Chapel to determine her cause and manner of death. Okay, so that is a general timeline as said by the Jackson County Jail. Now, Jackson County Jail initiated a death investigation on July 16th of 2021. The next day, July 17th, Jackson County Sheriff Rick Meyer requests that ISP, or Indiana State Police, take over Tanisha's death investigation. Ultimately, the Jackson County prosecutor determined that no criminal charges would be filed and were not warranted. Now, this was determined through a number of ways. Reviewing her medical records. Yeah. Speaking with medical or laboratory personnel, including the pathologist who performed the autopsy. Reviewing Ms. Chapel's communications. That could be her phone calls, emails, video phone calls, written correspondence. Listening to all jail intercom communications between Tanisha and a jail staff member. They interviewed inmates, law enforcement officers, jail staff, including staff that had contact with Tanisha during her book-in and during the days of July 15th through the 16th. Now, ISP met with Ms. Chapel's family and their attorneys multiple times and investigated the information that they received from them. What I'm about to go over now is ISP slash prosecutor's final report. So once we go over that, we will talk about what was not included in the report and Tanisha's family's take on what they said. Not to be a spoiler, but they don't agree. So we'll get into that. Okay, so the forensic pathologist was provided information by personnel from the Jackson County Sheriff's Department and coroner's office that Ms. Chapel had been transported from the Jackson County Jail to the Schneck Medical Center following abnormal behavior and green liquid vomitus with a suspected antifreeze ingestion. Remember that. The autopsy findings of the forensic pathologist were a cause of death listed as probable toxicity of an unknown substance, with manner of death being undetermined. Now, the Indiana State Police investigation tracked down the source of the hearsay information provided to the forensic pathologist as to the suspected antifreeze ingestion. It was determined that a Jackson County Sheriff's Department detective had responded to the Schneck Medical Center and had spoken to medical staff there after Ms. Chapel's passing. The detective heard Schneck staff make the comment that these symptoms Ms. Chapel was having were similar to antifreeze poisoning patients they had treated in the past, so it was very similar to that. That information, in turn, was eventually conveyed to the forensic pathologist. Blood, urine, and vitreous fluid from Ms. Chapel were tested as part of the pathologist's forensic autopsy. So vitreous fluid comes from the eyes, I believe. Okay, so what they tested for were propylene glycol, 
a chemical component of antifreeze. The initial forensic lab test results indicated the following. Examination of the specimen submitted did not reveal any positive findings of toxicological, toxic, yeah, toxicological, wait, toxicological. There we go. Okay, we'll just pretend I said that right from the first one. Significance. Okay. The Indiana State Police had additional testing done by another crime laboratory wherein the lab was specifically requested to look for ethylene glycol, diethylene glycol, and propylene glycol. The results of the laboratory testing for those substances were also negative. The forensic pathologist's cause of death, finding of a probable toxicity of unknown substance, is as stated a probable designation and not a determination of a reasonable medical certainty. So the possibility of a toxic substance ingestion by Ms. Chapel was investigated by the Indiana State Police in light of the antifreeze poisoning being one of the several possibilities that hospital emergency room personnel had considered as a possible cause of Ms. Chapel's medical condition. Laboratory tox testing Conducted reveals no antifreeze in Miss Chapel's body or bodily fluids. Though not referenced in the autopsy report, photographs of Miss Chapel show what appears to be a bruise on her head. And I don't know why that was not included in the autopsy report. It absolutely should have been. A review of jail video shows that when Miss Chapel was in a private holding cell, when she was the only occupant in that cell, she lost her balance and hit her head on a metal bunk bed prior to laying down. Now, but they don't have that video. So they have all the other videos, but not that one. Now they said that video evidence substantiates how this injury came to be on her forehead. But they can't show that. But... What is clear from the results of the autopsy is that Tanisha didn't die from a head injury, right? So, to rephrase, Ms. Chapel did not die of any puncture wounds, asphyxiation, or blunt force trauma. Note, though, that the investigation determined that Ms. Chapel had old gunshot wounds, but those wounds predated all contacts with Ms. Chapel relevant to this investigation. At 23... Baby, that girl lived a life, didn't she? Oh, that is sad. All right. The autopsy also determined that the manner of death is undetermined. Now, manners of death can be categorized as natural, homicide, suicide, accidental, or undetermined, which just means they don't know. They're not sure yet. Now, there were some accusations or allegations made by inmates of the prison. And I'm going to get into that more so in a bit, but we're going to touch on it here. The Indiana State Police interviewed every inmate who had contact with Miss Chapel. And they also interviewed everyone who said they had information about her death. One inmate said that two jail employees threw Miss Chapel to the ground 
when they brought her to a jail holding cell on July 16th. And that would be where the injury on her head came from. Now, both ISP and the Office of the Jackson County Prosecuting Attorney viewed video footage of Ms. Chapel's arrival into that holding cell on July 16th. This was at 12.28 p.m. Ms. Chapel walks into the holding cell and a jail employee is holding on to Ms. Chapel's shirt from behind. Ms. Chapel slumps to the floor of the cell and the jail employee releases his grip on the back of her shirt. This video evidence refutes the inmate's allegation that Ms. Chapel was thrown to the floor. Well, what if it happened before she got to the room? Okay. More than one inmate speculated that other inmates had put a cleaning agent into Ms. Chapel's food and or drink to poison her. Now, despite extensive investigation, the ISP has not been able to substantiate any truth to these allegations. Now, what was the extensive investigation? What all was involved? And I'm assuming they checked cleaners, right, that were available to the inmates, but did they double-check all the cleaners that were at the jail? Because inmates are sneaky. They'll get shit out of there. So that's what I would like to know. Like, how extensive was that investigation, right? Now, Jackson County Jail provides inmates with a cleaning product for cleaning their cells and common areas. The Jackson County Sheriff's Department collected a sample of the cleaning product and collected bodily fluid samples from Ms. Chapel's body for analysis. The Indiana State Police spoke with doctors and chemists and attempted to find a laboratory to test the cleaning agent. The doctors and chemists said that the cleaning agent would not cause death. Despite contacting laboratories all over the United States, ISP could not find a laboratory that could test bodily fluid samples or food containers for the presence of the cleaning agent. I call bullshit on that. You mean to tell me you couldn't find one, not one laboratory that was willing to test? Oh boy. Okay. Bodily fluids, I they should definitely be able to test. Maybe food containers, they might not want to, but that absolutely happened. Those that's a testable item too. So I don't believe that no one in the United States would have ran those tests. No way. I call absolute bullshit on that. Now, attorneys hired by Ms. Chapel's family informed the ISP that they had also had testing performed on some food containers that had belonged to Ms. Chapel, and they advised that they also could not find the presence of a cleaning agent or any poison. Well, they found someone to do it. There is no competent, non-speculative evidence to show any ingestion of a cleaning agent by Ms. Chapel. A duty of a prosecuting attorney in reviewing a death investigation is to determine if the death is the result of a criminal homicide, if and only if the death is determined to be the result of a criminal homicide, then to determine if sufficient evidence exists to charge a specific person with the applicable criminal homicide. Now, setting aside vehicular homicides, 
there are four criminal homicides that are reviewed. Murder, voluntary manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter, and reckless homicide. As referenced earlier in this report, the ISP investigation did not uncover any evidence indicating that Miss Chapel was knowingly or intentionally killed by another person, whether a jail employee or fellow inmate, nor any evidence that her death was caused by a knowing or intentional act with the purpose to harm her. What about inability to act or ignore medical issues where someone ends up dead? Is that not reckless? I feel like it would be almost intentional, but I don't know. I guess that's not covered under that. So therefore, there's no evidence that Miss Chapel was the victim of a murder, voluntary manslaughter, or involuntary manslaughter. The offense of reckless homicide has a different mens rea, which is intent element, than the aforementioned homicides. That being reckless. The definition of reckless is a plain, conscious, and unjustifiable disregard of harm that might result and the disregard involves a substantial deviation from acceptable standards of conduct. So I don't understand how her death was not reckless. An example of a reckless conduct would be a person intentionally firing gunshots into the air in an area of heavily of a heavy population concentration. Now, what about intentionally not calling an ambulance? For someone who is in your care that is unable to leave the facility to get their own medical attention. And they are reliant on you to do that. That just seems incredibly reckless to me. Now, reckless culpability is not the same thing. And it is very different than the civil law concept of negligence. Negligence is essentially a breach of a reasonable duty of care owned by a person or entity to another person. Now, if that's the case, negligence was most definitely involved. And I don't understand how you can argue that it wasn't. Oh, the afternoon of July 15th, 2021, Ms. Chapel told the jail staff that she had been throwing up blood. Jail staff investigated and saw no blood. Over a period of hours, her conditions gradually worsened. And she still got zero help. She couldn't walk. She was jaundiced, she was shitting and puking all over herself, she had a loss of motor control, and she was nonverbal. Yeah. Beginning around noon on July 16th of 2021, Ms. Chapel's condition began deteriorating even more rapidly. Ms. Chapel received some medical care by Jackson County Jail personnel. That's, yeah. That's up to interpretation. Ms. Chapel was relocated within the confines of the Jackson County Jail by jail officers to be able to more closely observe her medical condition. And Ms. Chapel was eventually transported by ambulance to the nearest hospital for medical care. How long? I mean, she, 16 hours she sat and begged for a hospital or, you know, an ambulance or help of some sort. 
The care administered to Ms. Chapel both at the jail and at the hospital was unsuccessful in saving her life. Now, I would like to know what care was administered to her at the jail. Get the fuck out of here. They administered none. They ignored it. They thought it was funny. They laughed. They went on about their day and did their own thing. Oh, Miss Chapel was not denied medical care. She was. Whether a person or entity had a duty of reasonable care towards a person, and if that care was sufficient or a breach of that duty of reasonable care, are matters of civil law and not criminal law. That is fucking ridiculous. This woman died. And, you're, and it's a civil matter because the jail workers did not do their job. Refused to, actually. Okay, great. What is clear is that efforts were made by Jackson County Jail personnel to address the claimed medical needs of Ms. Chapel and the timing of the application of medical care or misappreciation. What efforts? What efforts? Now they're trying to cover their ass? That's the only effort I see that was ever made towards Ms. Chapel. The Office of the Jackson County Prosecuting Attorney finds that no crimes were committed by inmates or employees of the Jackson County Jail related to the death of Tanisha Chapel, which is absolute shit. That is absolute shit. As stated previously, the focus of this review is whether any crimes were committed by inmates or employees of the Jackson County Jail during the time leading up to the death of Tanisha Chapel. Oh, that just burns me. This report makes no findings and no conclusions about the standard of care provided by employees of the Jackson County Jail. Why not? It should. And if you're not going to address it, especially in this case, who's going to? I, oh, it's infuriating. It is so infuriating. This woman suffered. She suffered for hours, begged for help, and they just ignored her, ignored it. It's, oh, it's, it's sad. Now, after seeing that report, Tanisha Chapel said that the report left out critical evidence and insists that federal investigation is imperative for the family to get the real story and eventually the real answers behind their loved one's death. Now, Tanisha's family secured the legal services of Sam Aguiar, Aguiar, Let's pretend I said it correctly because I don't know how to say it. And Lanita Baker. They also represented Breonna Taylor's family as well. Now, just a quick recap on Breonna Taylor. Miss Taylor, who's also a Louisville resident, was a 26-year-old black woman who was fatally shot and struck by five or six bullets when at least seven police officers forced entry into an apartment as part of an investigation into drug dealing operations on March 13th of 2020. According to police testimony to a grand jury, the warrant was never executed and the apartment was never searched for drugs or money after the shooting happened. So they went in and executed this poor little girl and then left. Unreal. 
Another completely unnecessary, preventable, irresponsible, and just reckless, horrific death of a beautiful young woman. Okay, back to Tanisha. Now, the pathologist did give Tanisha's case an undetermined status. So, you have now heard the state's version of things. We are going to go over the other evidence that Tanisha's family and lawyers say the state has not included, not investigated, and essentially ignored. Okay, obviously Tanisha's family took issue with the reports that were given by the state, as they should. Her family was very firmly believes Tanisha was poisoned by other inmates due to racial divide in the jail. They also disagree that the jail took immediate and appropriate steps to help their family member as she was clearly in distress for a long time. The Shade Room obtained a taped interview with a former inmate of Tanisha's in the Jackson County Jail. Now this inmate named another inmate, Sylvia Terry, who she says admitted to poisoning Tanisha and that it was, in fact, racially motivated. Now, this is a quote from that inmate, you know, from the interview. Quote, it was a constant racial thing going on, but they've got guards back there and the guards don't give a damn. Sylvia didn't care. She then names, these are fellow inmates also, Megan McIntosh, she didn't care. Amanda Burton didn't care. And Mia Dagonia didn't care either. Those are the ones who tormented her. Megan McIntosh made a noose cut of some old material or whatever that Sylvia had. The day I got moved to the pod, one of the guards told Tanisha to get her black ass up off the bed. End quote. Disgusting. The former inmate also included how Sylvia Terry quote, snapped on Tanisha before making threatening remarks. Just hours later, Tanisha would become sick and ultimately ended up dying. Now, after Tanisha got sick, the former inmate says, quote, then Sylvia snapped on everybody. Well, basically Tanisha, the unnamed inmate says, but Sylvia wouldn't let anyone help her. She says that she would st um, stop anyone trying to help Tanisha, saying, ain't nobody going to do nothing unless through me. Tan that's, Sylvia was saying that. Tanisha didn't come out of her room much that night, and within a few hours, she was getting really sick, unquote. In a jailhouse letter by another inmate, it says, Sylvia Terry, Amanda Burton, they used Kimberly Rosales to spike her stuff with the cleaner because Kim was bunkies with BJ. I, I think that's supposed to be Tanisha. I'm not sure. I don't know why they call her BJ. I don't know. It was bunkies with BJ up until BJ started getting sick. Then Kim moved out of her room. They put Kim up to contaminating her pop, pickle juice, and food. They said they never meant to kill her. Just wanted to make her sick. So they would take her out of the pod. Now, I don't know what caused the tension between Tanisha and the other inmates. 
or if it was strictly a racial situation. Um, Tanisha's sister said it was her understanding that the women were upset with Tanisha over an argument about whose turn it was to use the TV. And I believe that because TV is, yes, TV time is nuts in jail. So I firmly believe people getting pissed off and fighting over that. Another detainee had told Indiana State Police about the argument also and then added, quote, I just called her, okay, I'm not going to say this, but it was black, inward with the hard R, bitch. And then she said, for some reason I remember her saying, I remember her saying exactly, watch your mouth. And then I yelled the N-word with the hard R at her about 50 times. I am, I am just disgusted by this entire exchange. I mean, genuinely disgusted. Now, as far as the poisoning, the pathologist who did the autopsy and the nurse who treated Tanisha both suspected possible antifreeze ingestion, which would have included the ethylene glycol or methanol. Now, the laboratory talk screens showed no antifreeze in Tanisha's body or any of her bodily fluids. Now, the jail said that they turned over the cleaners used by inmates and items of Miss Chapels that could have been potentially spiked with the cleaner. And none of the cleaners showed up in Miss Chapel or the items. Now, the family says the jail has not produced all possible cleaners or poisons available at the jail for testing. Tanisha's diagnosis was metabolic acidosis, which is just too much acid in the body. Now, the official autopsy results list Tanisha's cause of death as undetermined, and a forensic pathologist said she died of probable toxicity of an unknown substance. As far as the jail saying she received proper and timely attention, I don't know of anyone who wouldn't take issue with that statement. For 16 hours, she was on camera begging for help, naked, vomiting, no control over bowels, begging the guards for help. Even as much as they continued to say she was stable, the fact that she died within two hours of getting to the emergency room that shows she clearly was not she was unable to stand up had fallen injured her head you know one story was her being carried by the guards and dropped one story was she fell after being moved to a solitary room and hit her head by the time she reached the er she was showing very clear signs of jaundice in no way shape or form the way the jail handled her clear medical emergency, no way was it timely or proper. I mean, that's insane. That That's absolutely crazy that they would even suggest that. Now, a quote from one of the guards when Tanisha asked for help and informed them she was vomiting blood was, quote, I don't know what you want me to do unless you're coughing up something crazy, unquote. God, heartless.
just heartless. A trustee working at the jail saw Tanisha vomit and defecate on herself as she was left there until an inmate screamed and complained enough for someone to come and move her. At this point, she was moved up front where eventually an ambulance was called. But in the ambulance, she was restrained and they took her non-emergency. No lights, no sirens. They followed all the stop signs and lights and all the traffic rules. The fact that she was in such bad documented shape by the ER staff lets me know that she was not as stable as the jail said. The surveillance videos alone could have told you that. And as an ER nurse, I have someone coming in. Oh, yeah, she's just kind of complaining and not feeling good. Maybe some vomiting. Um, but she's stable. No fever. She's doing great. And less than two hours later, you're dead in my ER. Um, I have questions. I have a lot of questions. And so did Tanisha's family, as they should. Now, they currently are suing Jackson County Jail for $30 million. The lawsuit addresses several claims, and it names seven jail employees, a police commander at the jail, and the sheriff. Their lawsuit claims the facility has a history of inmate mistreatment. The included types of mistreatment are unsafe living conditions throughout the jail, use of excessive force by employees, overcrowding in cells, and overt racism. The lawsuit also alleges the jail is directly responsible for Chapel's death, saying repeated calls for help from Tanisha went ignored for several hours. The suit also claimed multiple employees, including the jail nurse, accused Tanisha of faking an illness. Why she would have been faking an illness to that extent, I don't know. The lawsuit also indicates that her Eighth and Fourth Amendment rights were violated. Documents claim Miss Chapel was vomiting for several hours, in addition to having uncontrolled bowel movements, discoloration to the face, and other parts of the body. The lawsuit also said when officers attempted to move Tanisha to a separate cell up front where she could be monitored better, an officer dropped her, leaving her with a head injury. Now, EMS was eventually called, and they took Tanisha to Schneck Medical Center. Paramedics confirmed her skin and eye discoloration, as well as a large bump on her forehead. Now, the lawsuit alleges that officers from the jail accompanied the emergency responders to the hospital, which they have to do that. She is in custody, so, I mean, I imagine that's pretty standard, but they, quote, put hands on her, unquote, when no hospital personnel were in the room. The lawsuit is also bringing counts of indifference to serious medical needs, resulting in cruel and unusual punishment and negligence against seven jail employees and a policy of indifference to medical needs, resulting in cruel and unusual punishment against the jail commander and Sheriff Meyer. The fourth claim of wrongful death claims all of the listed above are responsible. Agreed. Four months after Tanisha Chapel died, her family, including her 10-year-old daughter, Nevaeh, held a rally on the steps of the Jackson County Courthouse 
with more than 100 people in attendance. Little Nevaeh, 10-year-old Nevaeh, stood in front of that crowd of 100-plus people and talked about her mother. She wanted people to know her mom was loved and that she was one of a kind and that her mother was a person, a good person. And her daughter and her family want answers. They deserve answers. Nevaeh stood and asked the crowd to remember her mother. For the people who were in attendance to say her mother's name. And her name is Tanisha Chapel. And she did not deserve to die. But that's all I have for this case. Um, it's, it's, it was tough to read and research. I mean, it was just so preventable and just unnecessary. And it's heartbreaking. It's just my heart goes out to her family and her little girl. Could you imagine at 10? Oh, I lost my mother at 19 and I still can't function. You know, ah, yeah, it's, 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 it's just hard to think about. So that's it. That's what I got for today. If you've hung in this long with me, thank you so much. You are a trooper for sure. But this is just such an important case. I wanted to talk about it today with you guys. And I want you to talk about it with someone else. It's too important to ignore. So if you like this episode and you like what I'm doing here, share this with someone, give me a comment, leave me a rating, follow me so you don't miss when I upload. My next episode will be Monday for the Mystery Monday case. Have a great day and I will talk with you soon.